0: taking a break from the book of Hebrews, and we're coming to the close of this series, I think. What we're really seeing here is this. When we're talking about revival, we're not talking about some kind of secret esoteric little keys, uh, things that other people don't know about, that will get you to have a revived, up, super spirit-filled life when other people don't have that. When we're talking about revival, what we're talking about is simply the basics of the Christian life. These are foundational things. It's Christianity 101, but with a vengeance with a passion, with an edge. The ordinary state for the believer is to be revived. In fact, the idea of revived means to come to life again. And in the New Testament, you don't hear about that because it's understood that you just are alive. You only need to get revived if you got unlived. And we're not supposed to be unlived, but we tend to be, so we need to get revived. Are you following me on this? The stuff that revivals made out of is just the stuff that Christianity is made out of. What we've seen so far is this. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know what your authority is in Jesus Christ. You've got to use it. That's Christianity 101. Know who you are. Know who defines you. Know who, know who your boss is. Know what salvation brings. And take authority over the enemy and everything that opposes you. You've got the authority to do it. Revival is about doing it. Secondly, be about prayer. Know the urgency of prayer, the importance of prayer, the persistence of prayer. And be, and be doing it. Third, know the power that you have to bless. We are called to be vehicles of blessing to the world around us. Declarers of the euangelion, the good news. It's good news. We're not called to judge. We're not called to discriminate against. We're not called to condemn. We're not called to be nasty and curse at people who cut us off on the, on the highway. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whoever we see, whoever we come in contact with, be they nice or be they mean, we are called to bless. We're called to bless. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're, be, we're called to be the conduits of God's incredible, unbelievable love to the world all around us. Vehicles of outreach in our neighborhoods. And the first step of that is blessing. Be a blessing person. Wherever you see, there's an opportunity to bless. Bless. you praying God's favor, God's love, God's power, God's blessing in their life. And the truth is is that you're making a difference every single time that you do that. Revival's about being reminded of that. Revival's finally about passion, about being hungry for the Lord and being willing to change and alter your lifestyle or your mindset, however you may need to, in order to keep growing in the Lord. If we're not progressing, we're digressing. And so the Christian walk needs to be characterized. This is Christianity 101. It needs to be characterized by listening to the Lord. How would you change me? How would you move me? How would you have it different? What would you want my life to change? Praying different ways, reading the Bible in different ways, doing different things, so you don't get into the black and white rut that we talked about last week but you're always growing in the Lord. This morning I want to talk about a fifth thing that characterizes the Christian life. It's an ordinary part of the Christian life, but it's a forgotten aspect of the Christian life. But it is also a key to growing in the Lord and therefore a key to revival. It's called fasting. It's the discipline of fasting. Let me read to you uh, several verses uh, out of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can just follow me. And while you turn there, let me just say out loud the truth that two very important things that this is a secret. Most Christians don't know about this, but I'll let you in on it. I won't charge you for it. It's this these are God's favorite instruments, right there, the drums. <laughs> and I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but that last song that we sang is God's favorite kind of music, okay? That's all there is to it. Uh, this is a Christianized Tower of Power music, or, uh, you know, it, 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 it's earth, wind, and fire. Uh, you know, some of you guys are you know, like, I want that country western. But this is, this is the anointed stuff. I am blessed. I am blessed in the morning. I am blessed in the... Uh, yeah, that's, that's where it's at. So praise God. God loves funk. That's it. Sorry. Case closed. Amen. Say Preach it. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen out of you, Dylan. All right. Matthew chapter 6. Listen to this now. i start with verse 2. Will someone answer that phone, please? So whenever you give alms, I bet Jesus and the disciples never had to compete with, with pagers and phone things and whatever. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Okay? Whenever you give alms, giving alms is just you're giving away what is yours to others or to the church or whatever. Okay? He doesn't say if you give alms, Consider this, he says, when you give alms, okay, it's, it's understood you're going to give alms. You're supposed to be giving some of your money away. And Jesus simply says, when you do it, do it kind of quietly. Don't like, like, oh, here's the ten dollars I'm putting in the offering, uh, or something like that. You, you know, don't don't get your reward now. Don't get attention for it now. Just do it, do it in quiet, because the Father sees and, and you'll be rewarded. But what I want you to see here is that giving alms is assumed. It's not uh, it's not an an optional thing. Then Jesus says this in verse five, and whenever you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray, because it's understood that if you're walking for God, you're going to be about prayer. He's interested in telling you how to pray, not whether you should pray or not. And he's simply saying, don't stand up in the street corners and be doing your, Oh, Lord. And so everyone can see and say, oh, what a righteous, holy, praying person that lunatic is. Okay, look down at verse 16. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. And just like with prayer and giving alms, he's saying, don't do it in a way that other people are going to, like, wow you. Like, oh, I'm so taught, you know. Um, so the people can, like, just know that you're just suffering so dearly. No, you're supposed to do it in quiet. Conceal it as much as possible. But what's interesting to me is that he doesn't say if you fast, if, you know, if you're one of these kind of special, supercharged, turbo Christians who are fanatical, then with you fast, then do it this way. No, he assumes it. It's right there with alms and praying. It's part of the ordinary Christian life. In Matthew chapter 9, the Lord says this. He was, it, Pharisees question him, saying, how come your disciples don't fast? How come you and your disciples don't fast? Because we fast twice a week. And they were kind of self-righteous about it. Whenever you take a true thing and make it a way of getting life, you're going to get self-righteous, it's going to get legalistic, it becomes of the devil, and so stop it. But uh, that's not what fasting is about. That's how the Pharisees were fasting, but that's not how you're supposed to fast. Jesus and his disciples weren't fasting, and they said, why don't you fast like we do twice a week? And Jesus says this. It's really interesting. Verse 15. The wedding guests cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And what he's just simply saying there is this. He's the, he's the bridegroom. And right now, we're having a party because I'm here. You guys don't recognize it, but if you knew recognize it, you'd be having a party too. This is, I got other stuff I got to do. This isn't the time to be mourning and fasting and, and whatever. But when I leave, then they, note this, they will fast. It's not so they may fast. They may get around to it. You know, there may be some radical churches that will teach that. He assumes that they're going to be fasting. So I want to... Remind us real quickly here this morning about the principle of fasting, what it is. I'm going to talk about what it is, um, why it works, how we do it, and then talk about some ways on, on, on the, the, the details on how to bring it about. Let's pray. Father, let your word come alive. I pray, Lord God, that you would, by the power of your spirit, energize this message to confront us, maybe to convict us, to transform us, to cause us to grow. But you've got to do that, Lord. Let the word come alive. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I preach, and sometimes I teach. This is more of a teaching time, okay? Um, I'm just going to be going through some, some biblical principles here that I want you to pay close attention to. Throughout the Old and the New Testament, it is assumed that the peace, people of God will fast. Now, here's what a fast is. The essence of a fast is, is abstaining from solid foods. There's two examples in the Bible where people were, were led to abstain from solid foods and liquids. Uh, and they had a supernatural uh, empowering to do that. If you don't have a supernatural empowering to do that and a supernatural command to do that, do not do that. You can die from not drinking. Uh, it takes a long time to die from not eating, but, but you'll die from not drinking. So ordinarily, unless God tells you to do it otherwise and you're sure it's God and not uh, something else, uh, fasting is about abstaining from food. And there's sometimes a partial fast, as when Daniel fasted, uh, he abstained from eating meats and drinking wine and eating delicacies and stuff like that uh, for a purpose. But he did eat you know, herbs and stuff. That's a partial fast. The ordinary fast, however, is when you abstain from all solid foods and, and you're just uh, drinking water or, or some other liquids. Um, by analogy, sometimes, uh, several times in the Bible, other things that you give up are referred to as a fast. For example, in Isaiah 58... The people were getting self-righteous about their fasting, and uh, they, were, they were missing the point of it all, so the Lord calls them to a different kind of fast. He calls them to fast from their wealth, He says, here's the, and to fast from their self-centeredness. See, here's the fast that I'm calling you to. Think of the poor, think of the needy, think of the oppressed, think of somebody other than yourself, and quit spending all your resources on yourself. That's a very good fast for us Americans to get in on. Um, But ordinarily, the root meaning of the term is to abstain from solid foods, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's practiced throughout the Bible. All the heroes of faith uh, in in, in the Bible, it's recorded of them, and I think for a reason, that they fasted. Moses, Elijah, David, it goes on. They fasted before the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus' disciples, Paul and Barnabas, all of them are reported to have fasted. We know that at the time of Jesus, it was customary for the Jews to fast at least twice a week go a whole day, a whole day without, uh, without any solid foods. Uh, The Day of Atonement was a national day of fasting for the Jews. And at different points in their history, they had other days as well that were times where everybody all at the same time fasted. The early church, we know, fasted twice a week. It was expected when you became a Christian, you fasted twice a week. Wednesdays and Fridays were the fast days. Um, And that was carried on into the 4th and the 5th century. Many times before uh, Easter, they would fast either for 7 days or 21 days or 40 days sometimes. That's where we get Lent from. It was especially, it was required at certain stages in church history of the baptism candidates. New Christians would be baptized once a year. It would be on Easter morning. And the 40 days before that, they'd go into a fasting period. Fasting was always a part of the Christian life. Throughout history, you see all the great movers and shakers of church history. Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, uh, uh, Aquinas, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon. All of them were, were people who knew the power, the, the importance of fasting. John Wesley uh, made it a requirement for all people who were ordained in the Methodist church that they fasted twice a week. He reinstituted the early church practice as a requirement that, that he had. Today, we don't hear much about it, and it's not practiced very much. Um, Every, well, I can't say this, I don't know that every revival had this as a part of it, but most of the revivals, at least, had fasting, the recovery of fasting as a prelude to revival. Which is why, as we as a congregation are considering really getting passionate for God in our own lives, getting passionate as a congregation, and joining with the church in the Twin Cities, and I would pray, uh, the, the, the church throughout the nation, for revival, we need to consider the power of, uh, of, of uh, fasting. Now, why do people fast? What, what is it about it that, that works? Several things. First of all, as a preface. Fasting, it's not just Christians who think that fasting is a good idea. Most medical experts argue that, with, with, with some exceptions I'll talk about later on. For most people, fasting one day a week is a very healthy thing to do. Um, it, it, it cleanses your system. Some have argued that the, in, the intestinal tract needs a, needs a Sabbath day. Uh, your body wasn't meant... No part of your body was meant to be working all the time. It needs a rest. And so you give your intestinal tract, your digestive system a break, your colon a break, you just, and you flush it out. You drink water, and, and it, it, it's a nice break. Uh, and there's a lot of testimonies just from the physical benefits of fasting. But that is not why we fast. That's not why Christians fast. That's a fringe benefit. There's a lot of fringe benefits. One of them is physical. But the reason why Christians fast is this. There's four major reasons. The first one is, the, is foundational to the rest. The reasons why, from a biblical perspective, why we're called to fast is simply because it's a disciplined thing to do. We fast for the discipline of it. And follow me on this. Here's the thing. The way God wired the world to work is this way. We are composed as human beings of of body, soul, and spirit. Our body is, you know, our bodies. No one has much question about that. Our soul, the word is suke in Greek. We get the word psychology or psyche from it. Our psyche, it centers on our mind, but it pertains to our whole, our whole personality, our thoughts and our feelings. Because our feelings are always responses to what's in our mind. They're never responses to what's out in the world, that we think they are. They're responses to the way our mind represents the world. So our soul, our suke, involves our mind and our emotions, our personality, okay? we got our body, we got our personality. And then the third thing is that the core of your being... Hebrews 4.12 talks about this. The core of your being, you've got the spirit. This is the innermost disposition and will, the center of the self. The self which decides whether you're going to be orientated towards God or away from God. The seat of life. Okay? Body, soul, and spirit. Now, in God's design, here's how it should operate. We should have the Lord enthroned as as the highest principle. Just beneath the Lord, taking orders from the Lord, being defined by the Lord, should be the spirit. the, The core of your being. You were made, you were created so that the center of your being is defined by the love of God and nothing else. Did you know that? The center of your being is defined, is to be defined by God, your creator. He alone has the right to define you. And the spirit is to be totally subjected to the Lord. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You subject, and the core of your being... Yourself to the Lord. And the way God wires it, it's supposed to operate this way. The, the Lord's enthroned over the inner, our, our inner being. Our inner being then tells our mind and our emotions what to think and what to feel. That's our, it tells our soul what to be. We're defined from the inside out. That's how it's supposed to be. We bring every thought captive to Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. That means we, as a spirit, bring our computer. Our mind is like a computer that's given to us as spirit beings to interact with the outside world. And so we're supposed to bring that computer under the lordship of Jesus Christ where our spirit is. So you got Lord, you got spirit, you got soul, and now the body is supposed to follow the soul. It's supposed to take its marching orders from what you think and what you feel. Body, do this. You are my servant. This is what you're supposed to do. The mind listens to the spirit. The body listens to the mind. And then after the body, we're supposed to control the world. The Lord says have dominion over the earth. Have dominion over the earth. We are supposed to affect our environment. All right? So as the Lord is over the spirit, the spirit over the soul, the soul over the body, the body is over the world. And this is how we're to have dominion. And God's plan, here it is in a nutshell, this is the creation, this is, this is the kingdom stuff. God wants to be Lord over the world through us. And he does it this way. Okay, For those of you who are listening by tape, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm, I can't describe it either. But it's coming from the top down. The Lord over the Spirit, Okay, it's to be a top down thing. The Lord wants to be Lord of the earth through human beings. We're the viceroys, we're the stewards. We're we're his representatives and ambassadors on this planet. When the kingdom comes, that's what's going to happen. Okay, but that's God's design. We are to be defined from the top down. We're to be defined from the inside out. We define the world. The world's not supposed to define us. Now, when we fell, it starts in Genesis chapter 3. You see the whole thing turned upside down. It gets all turned upside down. The devil is a perverse being. Perverse. Perversion is the root of sin. We always think sexual on that. But the word actually means to turn upside down or to be topsy-turvy. Perversio in Latin. To turn upside down. So what the devil does is this. He turns it up so that now the world is at the top. The body is next. The mind is next. The spirit is next. And Jesus is left out altogether. And you know why he does that? It's because he now has authority over the world. So instead of our spirit controlling our body, now he, a spirit being, controls the world, which now impacts our body, which impacts our mind, which defines our soul. So instead of being defined from the inside out, we're being defined from the outside in. Some of you need me to slow down a little bit, I can tell. He's like, okay. I, okay. I, I, I'll go over this again. It's a very, very important principle. It's, it, it's the essence of our growth. You are healthy to the extent that you are aligned the way God created you to be aligned. To have the proper order, the proper priorities, the proper marching orders in place. Lord, spirit, mind, body, world. To the degree that that is the case, you're, you define what's around you instead of being defined by what's around you. To that degree, you're healthy. To the degree that that's not the case, you're unhealthy. To, you'll have things in your life that are not of God, because things are defining you and impacting you from the world to your mind, through your body, which is defining your spirit. So instead of being defined by God, we're defined by past experiences, we're defined by mom, by dad, by, by horrendous things that happened, by the media, television, you name it. All these things go into our mind through our body, from the outside in. Stimulus affecting our body, body affecting the mind, mind defining the spirit Jesus Christ is left out of the picture. And now, instead of having the Lord who is spirit over us, you have Satan who is spirit over us because he's over us because he's in the world and the world's defining us. That's why the Bible says don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, the pattern of this perverse world where it's upside down. To the extent that we're not living according to God's alignment, we become, and this is true from your own experience, we become like the animals. Animals are products of their environment. Whatever's going on around them, they respond to. They just get stimulus, okay? They're just animals that react. They are a footnote to their environment. They don't define their environment. Their environment defines them. Toad sitting by the lake. Fly comes by. Toad eats fly. That's all there is to it. Not a lot of, you know, thought process going on there. We react to stimuluses. You see? And that's how the enemy wants it. We're defined by what's around us, either physically or emotionally or what have you. The Lord wants to be sovereign over our spirit. Now, why did I tell you all that? For this reason the way to break that bondage at least one way to break that bondage is to just decree by fiat boom it it ain't going to be so no longer and when you fast when you fast you're taking that body which according to the pattern of this world this is what the bible means by flesh by the way the flesh is this perverse state of being this is what the bible calls the carnal mind the natural man it's, it's in the light of the fall, everything's upside down, okay? That's what the Bible, that's what we're against. That, that's the, the, the bad stuff. When you fast, you, a spirit being, are saying, body, you don't tell me what to do, I tell you what to do. You're forcing a proper alignment. It's an act of self-discipline. You are putting the spirit where the spirit belongs. And the spirit's supposed to be in the driver's seat under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so you're saying, you are saying, when you declare a fast, you're saying, mind, Tell the body, no food today, or no food for the next three days. Just tell it that. and it be, Why? Because I'm boss, and I get to say it. And I just need to remind my body once a week or so that I'm in charge here. Normally, you know, the body's going to throw a tantrum, because the body's used to being in control. Chocolate, need chocolate, you know. The body's used to that. It's spoiled in this fallen world. It's used to, it, it, it's used to living like a toad. fly. Okay, chocolate, sex drive, got to get it. It's, it and, and we get all sorts of bombardment this. You want it, you get it. You feel it, you do it. You know, that's how the thing is. It's boom, boom, boom. It's satanic, it's demonic. It's supposed to be the other way around. The Lord commands it, the spirit obeys it, the mind follows the spirit, the body obeys the mind. We define the world around us, okay? Fasting is a way of just disciplining yourself. That's why the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Self-control. It basically means I tell you what to do, you don't tell me what to do. Body, i'm in control here and you may not like it but here's what's going to happen it's a fruit of the spirit This is why paul says in first corinthians chapter 9 verse 27 that we are to, he beats his body into submission he beats his body into submission you think oh that's mean it's nasty why does he do that now he doesn't mean it literally like he's going to take do, do not get weird on me here okay please um where you're going to be like flog yourself or do something you know pins and needles i don't you know no sadomasochism going on here folks it's not of god um but i'm talking about speaking figuratively i am taking control of my body like an athlete is training for a race he says in 1 corinthians 9 i beat into in submission why because it's a whining miserable toddler body that always wants to get his way so you have to say down toby hopefully you don't do that to your toddlers but to your dogs down i'm in control here okay and paul says that's part of how we grow that's part of how we grow you rightly prioritize your being that's part of how you grow and doing that just gets your, it gets it gets you aligned with the Lord and it evokes incredible blessings in your life. We, we, we fast because it's a self-disciplined thing to do. Secondly, in doing that, you're ascribing worth to God. And that is worship. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 37, that Anna worshiped the Lord with fasting. With fasting. Fasting is itself an act of worship. Why? Because you are. You are sacrificing lower goods for greater goods and Jesus Christ is the greatest good. So you're sacrificing that. And that is itself an act of worship. That's why the Bible frequently associates fasting with humbling yourself before the Lord. You're submitting yourself before the Lord. What you're really doing here is, is this. Lord, I, wanna, I want nothing to come between us. And so I'm saying here, Lord, that you are more important than my cravings. You're more important than my desires. You're more important than my hungers. You're more important than my pleasures and convenience. Lord, you are more important than life itself. And here's a way of saying that. If my body doesn't agree too bad, I'm then throwing in you. And that's an act of worship. So we worship as an act, uh, we, we, we fast as an act of self-discipline, we, we, we fast as a worship to the Lord. All worship, just know this, all worship involves some degree of sacrifice. When you, were this morning, you worship to the degree that you made a choice to push out everything else, a lot of other things you could be thinking about, your body was trying to get you to think about other things, your mind maybe was trying to get you to think about other things, but you chose not to think about other things, you chose to make the sacrifice of praise and worship the Lord. Okay, that, it's, it's It's sacrifice. That's why the Bible refers to the sacrifice of praise. Fasting is one powerful way to worship God. A third reason why you fast is this. When you get rightly aligned with the Lord, when you get rightly, things are operating, the marching orders are in place, you're being defined from the top down, not from the outside in, by mom and dad and past experiences and the chocolate in your life. Once you get that going, you know you're clearing some of the static that often clouds our communion with God, our, our, our ability to hear from God. It's like, it's like, pretend like God lives on the clouds. Uh, well, this is a way of putting the soul on top of the mountain. Usually our body's on top of the mountain, all right? Uh, it gets whatever it, w- it wants. But when you fast, you're saying, no, you are dethroned, eyes of spirit being I'm in charge here, and the very act of doing that is clearing the way for a more profound communion with God. Fasting can bring an intimacy in your relationship with the Lord that otherwise couldn't be there. It allows you to hear from God in ways that you maybe otherwise couldn't hear from God. This is why frequently in the Bible, people fasted when they were trying to discern the will of God. Okay, you're just taking the world, you're pushing it out, you're saying, no, I gotta hear, I gotta hear. So shut up, body, you ain't getting the chocolate. I'm I'm gonna focus here. And so we find in Acts 13, for example, that the elders were, were trying to decide what the Lord wanted them to do. So they fasted and prayed, and bam, the Lord said, separate Paul and Barnabas. To be missionaries to the Gentiles, Paul and Barnabas go out there in Acts chapter fourteen, and they fast and pray to see who should be in charge of the different churches. And the Lord showed them certain elders that should be in charge of the churches. Daniel chapter nine, Daniel fast and prays, and God gives him a revelation. Sends an angel his way. There's something about fasting that allows you to hear and see more profoundly and feel more profoundly the things of God. It clears away the static. This last Friday, this last Friday, I, I was fasting this last Friday. Um, and, and, and when I say that It looks like I just violated Matthew 6, six Like oh did you fast this Friday oh, How impressive uh, Don't be impressed with that Here's what I know about fasting It's one of the easiest things Maybe the easiest thing to forget uh, it, it, Because it's so natural to eat It's easy to forget about it And, and, and you break it And, and uh, I used to do this regularly It was just a part of my life uh, The first ten years of my Christian walk I always once a day and then uh, Once a day Once a year uh, No wait Once a week would fast Once a year, I'd go on a longer fast usually. Um, And then I just got out of the habit. So I'm confessing to you, which I don't like to do, but I need to. uh, This is a convicting sermon for me, because I've been out of the habit of this. So this last Friday was like the first time in about six months I've done it, and it was six months before that. So so there. uh, So there. (laughs) Okay, we're all human, but now it's time to get back in the saddle and start doing it right. Okay, you fall, you get, you, okay, it's take off. It's not the end of the world. Just get back into it. So I'm fasting this Friday, and um, gosh, we had a prayer meeting on Friday night. Didn't we have a prayer meeting? Terriers over there. Oh, yeah, we had, a, we had a prayer meeting. Man, Holy Ghost power coming down. It was just beautiful. It was just beautiful. Now, you have a small group, and you worship together. If you're not in a small group worshiping, I really would encourage you to get in one, because, man, It happens. But I'm not going to preach on that. As we're, but I, I, you know, unlike the rest of the group people in my small group, the pagans, I was uh, really spiritual. So i just kidding. Just kidding. I, got, I was just getting it. It was like, no, new no information here, but you see it a little clearer. You feel a little clearer. It's, you hear it a little clearer. It's more real. Uh, you know, the things of God. And I got this word. I got this word that was meant mainly for me, but it was also for somebody else. And the word simply was, uh, with God, it's never too good to be true. It's only not good enough to be true. And, and, uh, yeah, mm, it's like, and I could taste it. It's like, whoa, whoa. You know, I, I see, I, I've already, you, you had to be there. You had to fast to get this one. Um, but that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You just, I've also found this, just let it land here. Okay. We need to be thinking about in our small groups and in other meetings and in our personal ministries being used of God with the gifts of the spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, chapter 12, verses 9 on. Those are still around today. And I've always found something about fasting opens me up to be more used by God in supernatural ways. I rarely get a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom for somebody. But when I do, more frequently than not, it's when, I, it's when I'm fasting. Um, a couple of episodes come to mind, but I'm not going to go into them. Uh, so to be used of God, you just put in the spirit where it's supposed to be. You're closer to the ear of Jesus. You're closer to communion with Jesus. And you hear things that you otherwise might not hear. Fourthly, it intensifies prayer. Something about uh, fasting, it it intensifies prayer. God has ordained, as you know, I hope you know, that uh, a lot hangs upon what we do in our prayer life. Uh, Really now, not just pretend stuff, really. He's made us morally responsible agents, and prayer is our central way of exercising moral moral responsibility and having say-so in what happens in the world. There's an urgency and importance that attaches to prayer. What's also clear, just from looking at the whole panorama of Scripture, is that fasting in some ways intensifies or increases our say-so in prayer. This is why frequently in the Bible, in fact, always in the Bible, whether it's in, in, uh, explicit or implicit, prayer is a part of fasting. You don't just fast to give up food. You fast to pray. And pr- your prayer life has an intensity to it. So the Bible frequently mentions examples of people, Nehemiah, for example, Ezra, and others, who fasted and prayed and God answered their prayer. Okay, there's a connection there. One time the Lord says this in Matthew 17. The disciples couldn't cast out a, a demon. And uh, they said, why? why? Why couldn't we do it? Why, how can you do it? We, we can't do it. And Jesus said, well, this kind of demon doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. Right? And there's different kinds of demons. Some are stronger than others. This one is really strong. And if you want to come against the big ones, you've got to be willing to pray and fast. Why? It's not a carrot at the end of a stick. This isn't about God, you know, saying, oh, "Show me, show me how much you love me now." You know, you know, will you give up, you know, food for two days for me? Here, now you get a blessing. God's not like that. He's not this supreme cone with a carrot at the end of a stick and, and and giving us little candies when we jump through the right hoops. It's not like that. What it's about, folks. It's simply that we're getting the right alignment. We're walking in the right relationship. We've got the order here. You're walking in sync. You're hitting on all pistons. And that just provides the opportunity. You're obeying the laws of the Spirit, and that opens up the opportunity for God to begin to maximize the power that He's already given you in Christ. Are you following this? And so fasting is just a way to maximize the power that you have in Christ. I believe that one of the main reasons, Lord, help me to say this in a way that's going to land here. Father in heaven, just we need to hear this. Word, if you want to see God do radical things, you've got to be willing to be moved in radical ways. Do the same thing, you get the same results. If you want to see God move in radical ways, be willing to do radical things. Not to get a carrot at the end of a stick, but because it's a radical thing in this world to get lined up with God in the right way. And that's when the goods cash in. Secondly, the reason why the church in America, I believe, today is as impotent as the church is is because it's an undisciplined church. It's not in proper alignment. We are sometimes described, are we not, as Paul described the pagans of his day, that they have their belly is their God. Their belly is their God. They're driven by that. The Church of America on the whole is a fat and sassy church. Do you know, I didn't know this until this week, but a number of times the Lord uses this expression, you are well fed before he pronounces a judgment on people. You are well fed and haughty. You are well fed and prideful. You are well fed and apathetic. You are well fed and, and uh, uh, self-centered. There's something about it. When we're too satisfied in the comfort zone of our bodies, we get lethargic in the spirit. And the Church of America, isn't it true? Let's just say it out loud. It's a church that has so much going for it, has got so much good, so much potential in the world. So the enemy's working overtime to get us not to use it. And one of the ways he does it is by getting us to be a self-indulgent people, an undisciplined people, an uncommitted people, a people who like the spiritual little buzz on Sunday morning but don't go down to step B. But God is calling us and calling the church in in America to start stepping up to the plate, to begin to maximize the stuff that he died for us to use to take authority over principalities and powers and dominions and to begin to reclaim the land for Jesus Christ. Amen? The church just needs to learn the beauty, the freedom of being self-disciplined. And one way that that can happen is through fasting. This week is a national week of fasting. I don't know if you knew about that or not. So it was just coincidence that I'm preaching on it, but Wednesday through uh, Saturday... Uh, the, the church in America, the leaders of the church in America are declaring a fast. And, and I'd encourage you to fast one or all those days as, as you feel led. Uh, but it's a fasting time. Um, the church needs to be doing that as a way of taking... If you can't have authority over your body, you're going to have a hard time having authority over principalities and powers. Amen. So you fast because it's a warfare thing to do. It intensifies prayer life. Let me say just a word about how to do this. Wrap it up in five minutes. There's a little book here. I think we have some copies left on it. They may be all gone after last service. It's called Seven Basic Steps to Successful Fasting and Prayer by Bill Bright. It's just a little how-to book on fasting. Uh, you know, It's not very complicated, so don't think like you're missing everything if you don't get this. But I think it costs like a dollar. Where, you know, so check out in the chat room afterwards if you want more about this. Um, and he's, call- he's the one who's kind of driving this thing to calling the church to be a fasting church. In the end of January, I'll tell you more about that in a second. A couple how-to's. Number one. I'm going to give you five how-tos. I'm going to do it in three minutes. Number one, pray about this. Okay, will you pray about this? This isn't a Greg Boyd kind of land on you, you ought to, better got to, do it kind of thing. Uh, No, it's it's about the Holy Spirit wanting to free us. And pray about when and how much uh, you should fast. Also this, this isn't for everybody. It is the norm ordinarily for believers, but if you've got some medical conditions... Uh, that prevent this, then, then your fast needs to be from other things. And you can get the same effect of having the spirit in control of the body by just finding some other pleasures that you can abstain from. Don't get hooked on stuff. The Lord wants you free. So take something that might have the potential to hook you. You've got to always watch this television show, or you've got to watch TV this much each day, or whatever, and fast from that if you can't fast from food. In fact, even if you're fasting from food, you might think about fasting from some other things uh, just to uh, assert the, uh, the authority that needs to be there. But pray about this. How, how and when and why would the Lord have you fast? Which leads to the second point. You need to have an objective. What is your objective? Now, w- two objectives that we always have when we fast is, number one, self-discipline. Number two, worship. Because that's always taking place. And that, if, if you don't have any other reason, that's, that's okay to have. That, that's reason enough to do it. But it's good to have, and usually in the Bible they did have, some other reasons for fasting. You fast uh, in order to see God move in a certain way or to save a friend, a neighbor, to help the marriage, to heal the sick or whatever. It intensifies. Take the need, think about it, pray about it, and know that your prayer is intensified through the fasting because of it. Thirdly, prepare mentally and spiritually. Hear me on this. This is an important point. Uh, A lot hangs upon how you frame this. If you frame this as simply a day of going without food, your body's going to throw the worst tantrum you can imagine. Uh, You know, like, oh, here comes Wednesday. Shoot, I got no, no food. Uh, No, but frame it like this. Frame it as an act of worship. I'm going to be worshiping God every minute of the day because I'm going to be going without food every minute of the day. Uh, Frame it as an act of worship. Frame it as a, a time of freedom. Here you get to, now you get to be in charge, and you get to tell that body of yours that it's not boss. Frame it as a positive thing. Frame it as a time of warfare. It is a time of warfare. And know this, anytime you take a step for the kingdom of God, the enemy just increases the bounty on your head. So expect temptations galore. First day you fast, bam, someone sends you a box of chocolates, you know. Uh, Hey! uh, It happens. It's amazing. I can go a day without eating and I won't even notice it if I'm just too busy. But when I decide I'm going to fast, in the morning, I am so hungry. And I never eat breakfast. But you wake up, it's like, oh i got to eat. anything, please. Oh! You know, feel like Sally Southers on uh, you know, give to the children commercial. You know, it's like, please, somebody, give me an egg, bacon, or something. It's the enemy, so you got to expect that. It's a warfare thing, and, and so uh, prepare yourself for that. Number four, set a schedule. Plan it out a little ahead of time when you're going to pray. Block out some times to pray. Um, I was supposed to fast on Thursday, but I forgot that I was a keynote speaker at a banquet. And... Uh, <laughs> And it just, I felt like, you know, if I went there, and here I am, and it's like, oh, I'm fasting today. It, it that would have looked like a Pharisee thing, and it's like, you know, so I decided to, to push it off one day. Um, so you guys schedule, plan a little ahead of time about how you can do that. And then number five, enter, it and, exit, enter and exit it slowly. Um, the, uh, especially if you're going for more than one day. Uh, wean yourself off of solid foods, and then wean yourself back onto them. If you don't do that, even on a one-day fast, if you if you break it real suddenly, you're going to pay for it. Um, I paid for it this Friday. I had a nice little. It didn't pay for it too bad, but you know, at, at the end of our prayer session, you know, we're having a nice warm fellowship, and I was going to break the fast, and so the only thing they had to serve was was apple pie and ice cream. And uh, um, so I gorged, and I was like, oh, you know, and I go home and it's like, oh man, you know, I, it could have been worse, but but it, that's not the way to do it. You want to ease yourself back in. Just some practical tips that will help you on this. Here's the challenge I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this. Um, as as uh, the lead pastor of Woodland Hills Church, I want to call us to a fast. Uh, a fast of one day a week. Physically, if you can do it. If you can't, fast from something else. One day a week. Pray about this and ask if God will confirm it. I don't want this to be, don't do this for me, don't do it. Do it because it's a good thing to do, okay? So this is no new law or legal or anything. We're not going to take a chart and see who's doing it and who's not, okay? Don't worry about it. You're not a worse Christian if you don't do this. At the same time, I'm imploring you as a spiritual leader to do this. One day a week from now until Easter to fast before the Lord. Um, We're kind of hitting Wednesday as the day that, you know, uh, to fast on. If you can't do it Wednesday, do it, uh, you know, some other time uh, during the week but uh, we want to fast, okay? Uh, Before Easter, we're going to then offer up as a possibility for some to get involved in if they want a longer fast, leading up to Easter, either seven days before Easter, maybe three days, maybe seven, maybe 14. It'll be up to you. No one's going to twist your arms or even know about it because it's about you and God. But we're going to have a a different kind of fast uh, at that time. But one day a week from now until Easter. Think about these things as you're fasting, all right? Hear the challenge. Number one, fast. ...for the discipline of it and to worship God. Okay, that's always there. But more particularly, fast for deeper commitment. I'm really feeling compelled of God to challenge us... ...to rise up, to step up the ante in terms of our commitment to God. Our culture, through the enemy, has decreed that discipline and commitment are sort of bad words. But I'm here to tell you that they're good words, they're loving words, they're grace words, they're freedom words... And we need to be growing in that, continually growing. So pray that God will deepen your commitment individually and the church's commitment to the cause of Christ to be willing to make sacrifices for him, to to be able to joyfully get pinched where it hurts and to go on with it. That's part of our growth in the Lord. So pray for deeper commitment. Pray, number two, for the direction of the church. We are at a very interesting time. A lot of possibilities are happening. We're going to be sharing with you in in, uh, January at a town meeting. In like fact, you can mark your calendars. It will be January 17th. Town meeting. We're going to update you on what we've been doing for two years in terms of building the structure of the church and, and whatever. And, and we've got some real uh, important decisions to make. We want your input at the town meeting, but even before then. So be praying about this. Lord, and be, just be praying that God will, will lead us. We need to see clearly and hear clearly what the Lord wants us to, to do and to be. Number three, be praying for revival. Revival in your life, revival in Woodland Hills, that we'd be as passionate and as power-packed and as spirit-filled as we could possibly be. And then for the church of the Twin Cities, and then for the church uh, throughout the nation. We need revival. We always have to be hungry for that. And when you fast, be praying for that. And finally, I would ask you to pray for protection. Um, protection in, in particular here for the leadership of Woodland Hills Church. Uh, I, I know that we are going in the right path partly because we are taking a lot of hits right now that's not bad news, that's good news, I love to take hits, come on, because it means that we're getting up in the front lines, but we've had, spiritually, we're taking a lot of hits, there's a lot of just weird junk going on, frequency stuff, that's norm, that's, that's, that's not norm, our worship leader, but that's normal, okay, that's, but we need protection, okay, I want to encourage you to do this, okay, every time I'm preaching, there's some people behind this curtain that are praying, in fact, even during worship, they're praying, okay, for the whole service, if you feel called to do that, just go behind there and just enter into a time of silent prayer for the service. What a great ministry. We need protection in a lot of ways. We need protection physically. The last several months, we've had five pastors or their wives hospitalized. It's weird. It's not just coincidence, okay? It's coming at us in a lot of different ways. So be fasting, and as you're doing that, be praying for protection. Ezra did it, and it worked in the book of Ezra. God's calling us to a fast, and I encourage you to take it seriously to be growing in the Christian life. Stand up here and let's pray. In closing, and when we're dismissed, the front of this auditorium is open. If you want to come forward and pray for any need, feel free to do so. We have a prayer team that would love to enter into prayer with you. But pray with me here. Father, you are a radical God, a radical Savior, and you recall us to radical obedience. And when we have a radical obedience, Lord, then you can do radical things through us. Lord, we want to see the radical things. So help us to, to move in the area of radical obedience. Lord God, I would pray that you would... You would speak to each person here and tell them how this week they can begin to assert their authority over their bodies and break the stronghold of the enemies and move up in their commitment and deepen their walk with you, Lord God. Make us a people who are hungry and thirsty for your righteousness. Make us a people, Lord, who are willing to count the cost Lord God, to follow in the footsteps of the early Christians who were often fed to lions for what they believe. Lord God. Lord God, we find it hard to give up the chocolate. Lord God, I pray that you'd be moving us in the direction of radical discipleship, taking up our cross, moving forward in you, Lord, and then expecting great things in response, Lord God. We want to see you revive, restore, and your people, Lord God. Pour out your spirit as we walk in obedience with you here this week. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Take the power out with you, God bless you.